talking about the situation in Iran. And for almost a month now, protesters have been in the streets there. Uh, you might remember it all started with the death of 22-year-old Mansa Amini at the hands of Iran's morality police which is still hard for me to say no matter how many times I say it, um, for allegedly violating Iran's rules on women wearing hijabs or head coverings. Um, dozens of people, hundreds some say, have been killed in the protests. I heard that 23 children have died uh, as part of the unrest. The international community has condemned the regime, but uh, it goes on and um, it looks like it's going to continue, but there are some new developments. So to help us understand exactly what's going on and where this might be headed, we're going to talk with Kava Sharuz, who is a lawyer and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad. Kava, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for having me on and focusing on the story. Uh, just the, the latest on, from what I saw this, this weekend, I know you follow this extremely closely. Uh, bring us the latest on what you understand about the situations around the prison. The, I think it's called the Evin prison uh, in Iran, political prisoners being held there. Uh, there was a fire there this weekend. What happened, you know? That's right. On Saturday afternoon, um, our time, word got out uh, and videos started to emerge of uh, the main prison in Tehran, Evin prison. This is really like Iran's Bastille prison. This is where, um, frankly, maybe not even like Bastille prison. Um, yeah. This is really where most political prisoners are held. People sometimes refer to it as Evin University because it's really where the best and brightest people end up, regrettably, in that country. Um, so videos started emerging of a fire, and then there were gunshots heard yeah. in that area. Um, and it, it, it's been very frightening. The official word now is that eight prisoners have died um, as a result of that. It's unclear. The, the regime claims that, uh, you know, there was a prison riot by some criminal elements. Um, but that, you know, th this regime is, is generally not to be believed. So um, knowing what we know about the regime, knowing its attacks on political prisoners, knowing the fact that it actually literally has a history of burning down buildings with people in it, um, I think people are very suspicious about what happened, and this may have been an attempt to exterminate political prisoners. Um, to what end? Uh, we, we know there's unrest in the streets. We know that seems to be the focus of the international community. Why would this prison come under the uh, attack of the regime? You know, the, the regime is deeply afraid of the people that are in that prison yeah. and what it represents. Uh, this regime has carried out mass prison executions before. Um, one of the things I've spent a lot of time working on was a, was a massacre that happened in the 1980s where the regime just took everybody that had been in prison for years. I mean, these are people that pose no immediate threat to the regime and simply executed them all. Um, so it's possible that they were doing it for that reason. I mean, the people that are in that prison will likely form the nucleus of future leadership of, of, of Iran. So it's entirely plausible that, a, that an evil regime like this one would try to kill them all at once. Meanwhile, in the streets, protests continue daily. They have not stopped at all, right? We're almost a month into this now. Uh, that's exactly right. A month into it, um, video, you see fewer videos because the uh, government has shut down or severely limited the Internet. Yeah. But every once in a while, videos still emerge. There are mass protests still happening, and it doesn't matter the level of violence that the that the government of Iran uses. People continue to come out. They continue to chant against the regime and, and, and in some cases, fight um, openly against the security forces. So there's no sign of this letting up. No, not at all. So we know that the people of Iran are doing the job. Uh, when you take a look at what's happening with the international community, specifically Canada first, um, last week the federal government brought in a couple of rounds of sanctions and, and also some, some restrictions on some people within the regime saying they'll never be allowed in Canada, things like that. Uh, they targeted the Revolutionary Guard, high-ranking members of the regime. Your thoughts on how effective the pressure from Canada has been? I know you want to see more. 
Um, I definitely want to see more. I mean, that's the role of the activists is to always demand more. Uh, but I've been very pleased with what I've seen. Um, you know, these have been our demands for years, and the government didn't really listen. I'm glad that they're finally listening. So they uh, declared that 10,000 leading figures in the Revolutionary Guards are inadmissible to Canada. They listed a number of civilian officials in the Iranian government as, uh, uh, you know, being under sanction. Um, these are all very positive developments. I think this is very good pressure. Um, uh, people affiliated with Iran's regime, many of them have, uh, you know, passed to get into Canada. Some of them, frankly, have Canadian citizenship, which is yeah. very worrying. So blocking their path of entry into the country and potentially freezing their assets, I think, is very good. I hope that Canada will take the lead in promoting this idea uh, to other democratic countries so that the pressure can increase. Akata, this weekend I saw some interviews with people at the protest in Toronto specifically, and they were talking about right now, here in Toronto, members of the regime or their family are here living in Toronto and have been uh, for a very, very long time, and they need to be the focus of our government. Is that true? I mean, do we have family members of the regime living and working and studying in Canada? That is absolutely true. Um People within the Iranian-Canadian community have lots and lots of examples of people like that. Um, and there have been a couple of cases that have been so blatant that they've been reported in the national press. So, for example, um, the head of Tehran's police force, which carried out a mass crackdown um, in 2019 that ended up killing over, uh, around 1,500 people, he was seen um, in the suburbs of Toronto working out at a local gym. Uh, I, I think his family also lives here. Um, it's, it's absolutely absurd that our doors have just been yeah. open to these people who come with large amounts of stolen money. And not only do they live here, they, they thrive. I mean, they live well. They live in the nicest neighborhoods in Toronto and Vancouver and elsewhere. Uh, when we say you're calling for more and you want to see more, um, tell us about the petition and what else you think uh, the international community and the Canadian government should be doing. Absolutely. So yesterday, we actually, uh, a number of activists based, uh, based in Canada, we put out a petition which in 24 hours has garnered over 200,000 signatories. You know, mind-blowing. Um, and our demand has been twofold and very simple. One, we want the G7 countries, including Canada, to, to demand an immediate release of all prisoners of conscience in Iran. And secondly, we want them to expel Iranian diplomats. Okay. Um, you know, Iran is a gender apartheid state. It has shown itself to be brutal. And um, we ought to treat it like a like an apartheid state. And we ought to isolate it diplomatically. And I think the key thing to do is to get rid of their, uh, their representatives in our capitals. Um, where does this end? Uh... Is, is, is the revolution going to be successful, do you think? I mean, is the regime being weakened? Could we actually see regime change in Iran? That's the million-dollar question. Um, I am typically not an optimistic person. Um, I've seen too many sort of betrayals of, of democratic uh, dreams. But on, in this case, I, am, I remain very optimistic. Um, as we talked about earlier, the protests are not letting up. They're continuing. People are unafraid. They're openly calling for an end to the regime. And the regime seems to be in disarray. I mean, there are people, um, high-ranking people, that are kind of openly now criticizing the, the regime, sort of backtracking. It seems to suggest that there are fractures happening and they see the writing on the wall. Um, all the signs point to the fact that uh, this revolution will be successful. I, I think, you know, you're going to see an even more intense crackdown uh, because violence is pretty much all this yeah. government knows. Yeah. But uh, I, I remain hopeful that uh, the people will prevail. Well, that is encouraging. And Cava, we will check in again as it goes along. Uh, always valuable insight. We appreciate you very much. Thank you.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.